0: Hi there, listener. Annika here. Before we dig into the meat of this episode, we just wanted to add something that we didn't mention when we were recording together, but we think is important. While our ethos here is to look at multiple sides of an issue with a bias to what credible experts say, something we want to make clear is that we aren't here to take anything away from you. If you have something that's working for you, truly working, feels good, makes you feel good and live freely, it is not our place to take it away from you or to make you feel guilty about it. On an individual level, our goal is never to invalidate anyone. What we are seeking in the broader conversation is that A, just because it works for you doesn't mean it will or should work for everyone else. And B, that the criticism happens at an institutional and especially on a profit level That's what we're calling out, especially the exploitation of some of those good feelings. The experiences that people have on an individual level aren't always going to match what science or doctors or even the peer-reviewed literature says, but that does not make your experience any less valid, whatever it is. Anyway, we just wanted to make sure we were clear. We're not here to be mean or take things away from people. What we do want to have is a nuanced conversation around concepts that have been monetized and around anything that promises to be the magic bullet for everyone. Okay, back to the episode. And welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast that is specifically going to be talking a lot about wellness and nutrition over the next few episodes. My name Mm. is Annika Buckle. My
1: name is Lee Freiling. And my name is Jenny
2: Omani.
0: So as, uh, we'll be par for the course over the next few episodes, I'm just going to open with a disclaimer, a content warning. Um, we're going to be talking today about calorie restriction. We're going to be talking about dieting. We're going to be talking about eating disorders. If that is not in your wheelhouse right now, please, um, go scroll through hedgehog content on Instagram because it will make you smile. (laughs) Hedgehog. Oh my God. It's so good. It's totally funny. Really right is the
2: solution to all problems. Just hedgehog contest. not <laughs> going to lie. I'm actually kind of excited for when we're done. Cause I'm going to see what comes up on Instagram when I put like <laughs> hedgehog, hedgehog in the search. I bar. really,
0: really recommend it. You know what? Even if you're going to listen to today's episode, you should probably also take a minute and do that.
1: <laughs> also hedgehog. I love
0: it. Um, okay. So Now that we got that good stuff out of the way, um, the other thing I want to go through before we dive in is, um, we're going to be talking today about intermittent fasting. Ooh, I can't wait (laughs) for this episode. I know. Right. So, uh, when we talk about it today, I am specifically, we are specifically going to be speaking from a health standpoint. Fasting has a long history of practice for religious reasons in all kinds of religions and other spiritual traditions too. If this is something you practice as a part of your religion or your culture, then keep at it, do whatever is aligned with your practices and your beliefs. I will just add in to keep in contact with your health provider as you do so. I know from my own personal experience in fasting within religious communities that there isn't always a really robust conversation or even acknowledgement that there may be reasons to skip a fast based on your own personal relationship with food. In some communities, I just know it's not being talked about, it's for health reasons, but sometimes mental health is one of those reasons. So please just take care. Well said. Well said. So what we're going to be talking about today is fasting specifically for health, fasts fasting intentionally for the goal of changes in body shape or composition. But before we dig in, I just would kind of love to have a little round table um, to hear from you two about what you know about intermittent fasting or what your personal relationship with it is. Jenny?
2: Oh, okay. Um, I have no interest in intermittent fasting. I do it by accident sometimes. And I usually end up feeling really like irritable, shaky and mad. Um, so that's, that's my experience. I personally view intermittent fasting as there's a couple things that come to mind. Number one is, um, you're it's, it's like this excuse for people to restrict their calories. It's like, they're like, oh no, but I feel better. And I think the excuse really is just one point. The excuse comes when they're like, I have more energy and less brain fog and all of this stuff. And I'm like, it's like, they need to have some reason other than they don't want to just overtly say I'm here to lose weight. Some people are pretty open with it. Like I find men are like, I do this to lose weight, but women are like, oh, my brain fog's better. I don't right. know anyways, I'm not a fan. I think it's like a really tied to people that have probably had disordered eating patterns before. And this is just like a socially expect- acceptable way to have disordered eating.
0: Oh, we're going to wrap up at the end with like exactly that. So okay. good. Mm-hmm. Good. My two, good. Preview. My Thank two cents. you. <laughs> um, Lee, what about you?
1: So my experience with intermittent fasting, I did it for a very short period of time <laughs> because
2: because it was I, a hard two days. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It was a tough one hour, and I was yeah, two- yeah. Oh. I really wanted that thing, and I couldn't have it. No, I um, no, I think I probably did it for like three weeks, maybe. Oh, three I don't weeks. know. I don't That's know. And dry. Inter- yeah, and I mean, I really didn't have a very. I mean, there's a lot of, um, fasting, or eating windows that are very very short, and I think mine was like. 10 till seven o'clock at night or something like that. So like, it was basically how I ate anyways, cause I'm not, I am not someone who w- wakes up and wants to have a huge meal. Like I don't really do that typically. Um, I'd like to wake up and have some tea and then I'd like to go eat something maybe an hour later, but you know, that's, that's just kind of how I, how I eat anyways. Um, and, uh, th- my own personal experience with it was that it was kind of like, A little bit of a nothing burger, except it made me continuously think about time, which like, I don't need to think about time anymore than I already think about time. (laughs) Thank you very much. Um, And then I know a million and a half people who do it. I know a million and a half people. This is an exaggeration. (laughs) Might be a hyperbolized number. I'm a, I have been accused of being a hyperbolizer in the past.
0: So I do
1: know a, a zillion, zillion people who do it. And, uh, for many of these people, I genuinely think that it is the cover story for their disordered eating
2: actually. Mm -hmm.
1: So, um, yeah, but I don't, and I know that like, I don't know, anytime I go on Pinterest, Pinterest is trying to like, be like, what's your age and what is your intermittent fasting window, optimal, something, something. And, Mm. you know, because I'm like a lady in Canada, I'm a little bit like tempted to go click on it. And then I don't scroll Mm -hmm. on. So that's, that's basically what I like. No, no, that's about it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there's some people who genuinely like have like, I don't know, do this and feel great and whatever. And that's fine for them. But I think the general trend is probably going to be a little bit more ominous. Hey Annika, tell us more.
0: <laughs> what a perfect lead-in. Um, I'm gonna kind of start with the history of health-based fasting. We'll talk about different types um, and then we'll kind of look at like what the science says or spoiler alert doesn't say. <laughs> um, so fasting for health rather than religious reasons started to gain popularity uh, unsurprisingly in the 1930s, a time characterized by widespread economic hardship. Science started to look at what would happen to people's health if they restricted their food intake for economic reasons. So I didn't realize that I find it really fascinating. That was kind of the kickoff to this, especially when we look at, you know, privilege, I think there's a lot of privilege steeped in intermittent fasting, you you Uh, have access to food and you're choosing not to eat it. Correct. (laughs) Um, So popularity kind of ramped up into the forties where calorie restriction in the form of intermittent fasting appeared to possibly extend some animals lifespans, which people got really excited about um Because inch. they couldn't
2: afford to feed the animals.
0: <laughs> Yay! Right? They're like,
2: how can we make this animal not die? And yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. go on. <laughs> oh, geez.
0: is <laughs> a real, it's unsurprisingly, there's a problematic right answer oh. behind everything. Oh, the
2: vegans aren't going to be happy with this <laughs> origin story.
0: <laughs> So into the sixties and seventies doctors started to really look at it specifically for quote unquote weight loss, as well as chronic disease management, but it wasn't until the early two thousands that we see that kind of huge spike in popularity within the fitness weight loss pop culture world. Um, but I'm going to talk in a little bit more detail about that in a minute. So there are many different types of intermittent fasting. So there's the five diet. This involves limiting intake to 500 or 600 calories per day on two days of each week, and then eating freely, whatever you want on the remaining five days
2: my God. I think my coffee with cream would just tip me over. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh my God, that's like one and a half coffees.
0: Yeah. And like an apple. <sighs> um, yeah. I, again, I mean, as the disclaimer at the beginning warned, like a lot of this um, feels kind of icky, especially if you're somebody who's spent any time, you know, thinking about Restrictive eating patterns. calories. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there's also the six, one diet, which sometimes called eat, stop, eat. So this is 24 hour fasts on one day every week. So you pick one day and you just don't eat for 24 hours that one day. There's also alternate day fasting. So this is like a 24 hour fast. Um, Or limiting your intake to 500 calories every other day. So that's kind of a combination of those other two. Um, there's also the fasting mimicking diet, which is low carb, low protein, high unsaturated fat that limits intake to 34 to 54% of normal calorie intake there's spontaneous meal skipping, which is just randomly skipping meals and the most popular right now. And probably the one you thought about as soon as you saw the title of this episode, time-restricted feeding. So this is the, there is a window of time where a feeding can occur, eating can occur. Um, this 16, eight is a really popular version of this. Um, this is kind of started in 2006 and really gained huge popularity within kind of like bro fitness. Um, so it's a 16 hour fast and an Any, eight hour. Anytime
1: someone says bro fitness to me, I'm just like, I'm over here. I just oh, saw you. Light. I just, I just saw you glaze right over. I
2: was like, oh my <laughs> God. Oh no, it's going to be. I think the mic,
1: the mic picked up that eye
0: roll. I think probably I,
1: I'm sorry, Annika. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just oh, couldn't, it's I okay. couldn't contain my just, just wait general disdain. <laughs>
2: Just. Although I will say I can very much relate with spontaneous meal stick skipping as a nurse. <laughs> that's like our, that's a, as that's a, a staple in the hospital. As <laughs> a, like
0: a young mom with young kids, again, yeah. it's like, did I do it on purpose? No. Oh, did I, I sometimes I get cool. to one o'clock and realized all I'd had was like a crust of toast? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Um. So the sixteen eight has. You know, this eight hour period of time in the day that you can eat. This can happen at any point. Um, Less common earlier in the day, although sometimes people do like a nine to five more common later in the day, starting at kind of noon to 8pm. Typically, this is recommended because it's easier to hold on to specifically around social events like lunches and dinners, you can still have lunch you know, with your office, you can still go out to dinner with your family.
2: So nobody Uh, notices that you're not eating.
0: (laughs) Yep. That's exactly. It's like built in, like hiding in plain sight. Right. So I'm going to spend an extra minute here to dive into um, what's, what's called the lean gains protocol. And it shouldn't surprise you to know that this is like the bro fitness, biohacking staple, literally lean, gains it took me a couple of minutes because it's just written as one word oh, oh my gosh. Le- Lean like, oh it's two words yeah <laughs> right
1: and, and let me just let me just check gains is spelled with a z oh F-E-N. yeah
0: i mean it's not but like it is right yeah <laughs> gains yeah, yeah okay Go on. When you go to leangains.com, it's oh, just it's a photo website. after photo of your typical jacked, veiny, headless, shirtless dude, like body after body. It was founded by a man named Martin Burkham, who describes himself on his website, leangains.com, as I quote, also known as the con, godfather, or high priest of intermittent fasting. Great. In case anybody's wondering about this, is getting better all the time, getting so much better. (laughs) And he's is he he's a white guy, I assume. Unsurprisingly, yes, yes, he is. Mm, Perfect. So, lean gains fasting is designed around not just skipping breakfast to eat all your calories within that eight-hour window, but it also includes macro cycling. Now, Mm -hmm. we're not going to specifically talk about macros today, but I do think it's important to just kind of name since this is really the basis of so much. Of this wellness world nutrition in the biohack bro sphere so macro is short for macronutrient macronutrients are the three categories of nutrients you eat the most of and provide you with most of your energy protein carbohydrates and fats so when you're counting your macros you're counting the grams of protein carbs and fat that you're consuming macro counting or macro tracking is basically just a more intense version of a food diary or a calorie diary where you're not just tracking what and how much you eat in regards to calories, but also how much of each of those macronutrient categories it has. Okay. So macro work just sounds like so much work exhausting. I have done it before and it is I just want to eat my lunch. I
2: don't want to be like, okay, so like, do you need a scale? Like, I don't know. That's
0: just a scale. Yeah. There's of course there's apps, but what off often... can I pay
2: for an app to help me figure it out? You don't even have to pay. It's free, oh, but it's there's free. ads. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> if you want no ads, you have to pay for the pay. version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so macrocycling is where you eat varying amounts of carbohydrates and fats over alternating two-week periods. Sometimes people take a more specific version of this called carb cycling, where they're only looking at high carb oh, and low that. carb days. So days that you work out are high carb days, days you don't work out are low carb days. But I will also add in here, kind of relating to macros generally, but specifically as we're looking at, you know, this really intricate piece of feeding yourself within these very restrictive windows, within these very restrictive food building blocks, there, even for people who follow it, there, follow it, there is a ton of gray area. And things that really are not agreed on. Alcohol is a really big one that comes up all of the time. Some count it as pure calories, some calculate it as carbs, some even count it as fats, not even counting that we actually know very little about calories and how they work within our bodies. Everything we know is based on how things burn within a machine, but our bodies actually aren't machines. I'm also right.
2: pretty sure that alcohol is not a fat.
0: Yeah. Like- don't don't tell the biohack bros that, my friend. <laughs> okay
1: okay i'm gonna leave
0: that there for now because that's really where that leaves it for this episode but if you're dying for us to cover more on things like macros in our nutrition series that we're talking about please let us know by reaching out to any of us on instagram i'll put our handles in the show notes so One of the things that I found, especially interesting and actually frustrating, even more than interesting, I really like to be able to find patterns and make connections when I research. And that was really, really, really hard with this topic. So something both interesting and frustrating was that there really isn't any agreement or super clear evidence on how intermittent fasting works within your body. So there are a few different mechanisms by which intermittent fasting could impact health. Um, Removing and recycling damaged parts of cells to boost cell repair, uh, autophagy, reduced nutrient signaling pathways, impacting stress response and longevity genes. That's that piece of like, oh, mice live longer when we only let them eat within a certain hour window. That was really popular in the studying in the forties, reduced inflammation and oxidative stress. Not totally clear how that works, but it appears to be a side effect, synchronizing with our body clock, which shifts how our bodies digest and process food. Uh, a big piece of this is ketosis. We're not going to be talking about keto today, but ketosis is essentially like a starvation mechanism where the body starts to rely on fat for fuel, which increases your levels of ketone bodies, which also can be a piece of, again, kind of like macros, keto and intermittent fasting often also go kind of hand mm-hmm. in hand for mm-hmm. the biohack pros. Um, There is an impacting on immune system function that is not totally clear how or why. And then there's also an impact on gut bacteria and metabolic markers like blood, glucose, and cholesterol. These all vary in terms of how much evidence is behind them. And honestly, a lot of them are really just theoretical or we see this maybe happen sometimes and we don't know why.
1: Huh. Okay.
0: So I think Part of the problem, and honestly, so much of what we see around actual science and data around food is human studies are really lacking and can be incredibly hard to get rigorous science out of particularly long-term. Most of the scientific evidence for the health benefits of intermittent fasting in humans is just extrapolated from animal studies or based on observational data on religious fasting, particularly around Ramadan, or derived from experimental studies with very modest sample sizes this worked for these 12 people for this three week period, maybe. (laughs) Um, I think this is actually something that is kind of going to be a thread that we'll see woven through a lot of these nutrition episodes. So often, I think this is similar to what we see in the coaching world. And I know we've talked about this a little bit before. Um, This one thing worked for me. So everybody should do this one thing Mm -hmm. because it worked for me. In an information vacuum, especially when people are looking for answers or clear direction, that can
1: be really tempting that can feel really mm-hmm. like, yeah, totally. Want. So I think, I think that, you know, just to sort of pause around the idea of studies and studies of being of any kind of like value. So As I've talked about before, I'm doing my master's degree right now. I had to take a whole course on research methodology, which was, I mean, this was really new to me. My previous degrees, I didn't have to do any kind of research like this, but for um, counseling psychology, I do. And so actually understanding A, how to read a study properly, B, whether or not to determine whether the study has any kind of merit, you know, C, whether or not the study actually has enough meat on the bones, so to speak, to even like mm-hmm. consider it to be some sort of conclusive anything um, I, it has been really, really eye-opening for me. Uh, you know, when we see um, people citing studies and the studies were on like, you know, like what Annika just said, like, you know, on a control group of like 12 people, you know, at best, that could be a preliminary, you know, preclinical something, something that may indicate that this might warrant some further research. How those 12 people were chosen is really important. Like, is this actually uh, an appropriate sampling of your demographic? Sometimes 12 people in a study is really appropriate. If you're studying like a very, you know, sort of like a small sub sub population within a specific area, then sure. Okay, fine. Like if I wanted to look at, I don't know, people over 30, but under 50 who have been qualified as being on the autism spectrum, you know, disorder scale for more than 20 years who live in my town, then yeah, 12 people might be an appropriate, you know, sample. But if we're talking about something as big as intermittent fasting or how the body works or nutrition, or it's, you know, effect on cardiovascular, bloody, blah, 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 blah. It's gotta be a way bigger study. Uh, what I like looking at when it comes to stuff, something like this is trying to find, um, meta studies where, you know, you take someone who has basically taken all of the available literature on a certain Mm -hmm. subject and they go through, they'll throw out a bunch of studies. If they're garbage, they'll qualify other studies as saying this part was interesting, but because of the, whatever research method that they used or their sampling or whatever it was, we're not totally including it. And I think, unfortunately, the way that studies have been sort of manhandled in mm-hmm. popular media is, you know, people can go to a study and be like, blah, 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 inflammatory statement, but like <laughs> that might be like printed in the study, but that might not mm-hmm. be the conclusion of the mm-hmm. study or even the purpose uh-huh. of the study. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think it's really challenging I have a whole new respect for researchers, actually, mm-hmm. like actually, actually, since doing my master's um, and I have a whole new appreciation for people who are, have the skills and ability to critically read studies to determine whether or not that each, they even have any valid information to share, or if it was just a waste of whatever university or,
2: you know, corporation paid Private for that thing to get funder. made. Yeah. It, That's such a good point, Lee. And I think it's also really important to sort of highlight that how they collect data for nutritional studies is really tricky because a lot of it's Mm self-reported. So if I'm in a study, so it'll be like a food diary or whatever, but as soon as I'm writing down what I'm eating, it's going to impact, A, am I going to be honest? There's that. Mm -hmm. B, if I am being honest, am I going to eat as much as I would normally eat if I wasn't actually... keeping track Mm -hmm. of what I was eating. Right. So like, you know, you're going to have someone maybe who's trialing like an intermittent fasting diet or whatever, pretend it's like actually a, or like a proper study which probably isn't, but pretend it is. And it's like, okay, so go write down what you're eating or live in a, like a, I know that when they did, they've done some studies where they have people that live in like essentially a hotel so that they have catered food. So everything's Control. pre-measured for them. It's like, well, that's not reflective of real life.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's very hard. Right?
2: So it's really hard to people have no idea about
0: portion size either. Like, unless no. you're oh, literally me. weighing your food, somebody's yeah. like, that's a tablespoon of peanut butter. Like, no, it's three tablespoons or no, it's a teaspoon.
2: Yeah. And we yeah, totally. No idea. Totally. I know. Right.
1: Like when I look at a recipe and they're like, and you're supposed to cook, like, I don't know, so much vegetables. And they're like, one tablespoon of olive oil. My like, bullshit. <laughs> that's some bullshit yeah. right there.
0: I yeah. one, one clove I'm gonna... of garlic. I, Fuck you. No, no.
1: No. Never. There's never no, one clove. There's no way I can like roast all of these lovely sweet potatoes in the oven <laughs> with one tape Give me a break. Yeah. No. Totally. I come from the Jamie Oliver school of olive oil. A couple of glugs. <laughs> that's where I come glugs, from. Glugs. Yes. Glugs. Glug. Glug. Anyways. Okay. Go on. Yeah. Go, Annika
0: Sorry. No, no, this is perfect. This is exactly the conversation that I think is really nuanced and important, um, especially kind of over the last couple of years, where I think to exactly what you're saying, it's like, there's a study, ah, when like the study is garbage. So it's irrelevant <laughs> or the conclusion you're drawing from the study is garbage. So it's irrelevant. <laughs> um, So this is the other thing that I found fascinating, but not surprising um, is that almost all of the studies that we do see, especially when there are studies that indicate some of those really positive health outcomes that you love to hear around intermittent fasting, like reducing LDL, the bad cholesterol, improved insulin sensitivity, lower levels of oxidative stress at a cell level. Those results come from studies of only men. So Mm, I
2: was just gonna say, (laughs) and the reason I was gonna say this is my daughter broke her arm, and we were looking her physio, and I were looking did like a lit review because her particular fracture is a higher refracture rate to see how quickly you know we can progress her to get back to her baseline as like a a doing tumbling and cheer, and the data was mainly kids that were younger than her, Uh
0: so it's like
2: that doesn't mean. So all of this stuff was like, here's the refracture rate. But then when you looked at the average age of the kids, they were like three years younger than my daughter. Mm-hmm.
0: Which is significant that, when you're looking at bone growth. and Totally. It's, it's right? actually really,
2: really huge. Mm-hmm. So anyways, so yes. And my first thought was- I mean, you can't metabolically compare men and women. No. <laughs> and this
0: is, so this is really cool. Dr. Stacy Sims, she's an exceptional exercise physiologist and nutrition scientist who specializes in exercise, nutrition, and performance for women has written a book called next level that I think is really fascinating. I've been reading it kind of separately anyway. Um, great reading for any woman approaching menopause who exercises or in menopause who exercises. Um, I'll link her in the show notes because she's really. Smart um, and well balanced. Um, she talks a lot about the importance of not just peanut buttering across purported benefits for men on anything health related, especially around food. So I'm gonna read directly what she's written out in this book around intermittent fasting in women because I think it's really fascinating. Let's look at the data from the women in the research there was no benefit for insulin sensitivity from calorie restriction. In fact, women who had high blood sugar were on the cusp of becoming diabetic actually saw a worsening in their insulin sensitivity and blood sugar on the plus side, women saw an increase in their good HDL levels, but there was no shift in their LDL levels. Unlike men, women had minimal, if any improvement in autophagy and they actually had increased oxidative stress worse fasting had adverse effects on their endocrine system. So their thyroid function slowed down as a woman, your body will fight to preserve energy when you begin to fast. So this is, I think even more interesting when we're looking at how this works within our bodies, within the wellness world, from what we see and what we do know. That's really
1: fascinating. Like, I I mean, we have known, we have long known that women's bodies are working real hard to hold on to fat because our bodies Mm -hmm. are trying to make more people. Right. And then also, and also trying to like feed more people. Right. So like, if we, Mm -hmm. if we don't have enough stuff on ourselves to take care of ourselves, we can't get pregnant. We can't stay pregnant. And then we can't nurse anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. And so even though like, I'm not trying to have babies right now, my body's like, but, but you (laughs) might need to, at some point need to have, if The apocalypse happens and you're the last remaining (laughs) breeder on the planet. This is what my body thinks right now. So my body's like, you know, that cheese, we held onto it for you. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Just in case you might need it later. You don't know. I don't know, but you don't know either. We don't know what the future brings. I may be the only person at 44 years old who could possibly have more children. Yeah. Right. But you know what I mean? Like, so I think it's a really interesting thing because, you know, where men don't have to do that, obviously. Mm-mm. You know, and like we can't. I don't know, man. We're like millions of years into this, into this like human living, making more humans kind of gig. I think that our insides are pretty hardwired to k- keep this, you know,
2: going. In the way I that I also it has been. think that anyone, and the three of us are included, in this who's married to a man who's <laughs> tall and can lose weight by thinking about it. Actually, I though, really yeah. clear. Like, like I'm not actually exaggerating. I. I've literally had conversations where Dave has been like, oh, I, you know what? I just did like, I just like focused on like, um, walking a little bit more and I lost five pounds, Mm. like literal conversation. Like we are not comparable metabolically, even remotely. And I'm pretty sure I've heard Lance say the same thing where he's like, (laughs) oh, I don't know. I just like, it's biking season. So now I am like, I'm like, of course it's yeah. Okay. That's Mm -hmm. nice. I know. must be
1: nice. You all six, one of you and your natural athleticism and you never get injured and you're never tired and you just keep doing your thing. Must be nice. Oh, wait, you didn't grow some people
0: once upon a time. Mm, Right. Interesting. Interesting Funny story.
1: Funny story. Okay.
0: Anyways, continue. No, but you're, you hit the nail on the head and actually one of the, um, articles that she uses for reference in this particular book is really fascinating around, you know, the sex differences in starvation, survival, obesity, heat protection, the evolutionary roles and implications in, you know, our chromosomes and, you know, the way that our hormones work in there. Um, there, there really appears to be, a, a linkage between sex chromosome hormone and energy balance, um, that seems to be responsible for this greater resistance of, you know, female to famine and her greater tendency to become obese in times of feast is the Mm. kind of conclusion out of this. And I think Mm. when we talk, you know, one of the, it it increasingly seems that one of the most damaging things we can do for our bodies is restrictive eating, Mm -hmm. especially as women.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is why the statistic is that, you know, 95% of people who lose weight will regain it in mm-hmm. 5 years up right. in, at, at least 5 years right 95% not ni- 95 95% like <laughs> that is so damn close to everybody
2: yeah you know don't leave <laughs> Well, but here's the other thing that is really interesting around this, right? <laughs> Just try harder and be part of the 5%. Oh Just try harder
0: if, it, if it's not working. It's, if you're doing it right, it'll right, be in problem. the 5%. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, and I think this is really important to talk about around the idea of intermittent fasting is that again and again, there isn't really any definitive indication that very heavy air quotes the health benefits um, from intermittent fasting are any different from the outcomes of calorie restricting generally, If you're reducing your calorie intake, it doesn't appear to really be that different. If it comes from 16 hours without eating, Mm -hmm. or if you're just eating less at every meal, of course, particularly for women, (laughs) of course, you know, there's this other risk factor and you touched on this at the beginning, Jenny, that this then creates a cycle of binging and restricting leading to disordered eating. Mm -hmm. Um, or that this is appealing for people who already are struggling with disordered eating patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, in fact, fun fact, fasting is listed as an example of an inappropriate compensatory behavior in order to prevent weight gain in the DSM five eating disorder diagnostic criteria.
1: Ooh, I love it. When someone pulls out the DSM, Five, yes,
0: (laughs) and I quote, especially as it's quite a socially acceptable form of restriction. End quote. Mm -hmm. Totally, Mm -hmm. totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: I mean, the other thing that all of this comes to counting macros, intermittent fasting, restricting calories, is this externalization Mm
2: -hmm. of
1: what's best for you, right? Mm -hmm. So, I think especially women very easily fall into this trap of like, well, an expert and this expert right. could be the dude at your gym <laughs> told me, you know, what's best for me is that I should only eat between one o'clock and seven o'clock at night. Right. Um, and I think this goes, this is just a, a huge part of the general, uh, er- uh, efforts to erode women believing in themselves. And believing in their own authority and believing in their own ability to know what's good for them versus not know what's good for them. I mean, it starts when we're babies and children and you know, we're told that somebody else knows better and that we should just listen to them. Now, I am not... Demonizing actual experts mm-hmm. in the field. I am not demonizing, you know, your family doctor who you've known for 15 years, who has recommended X, Y, Z to you. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that when you continuously are listening to somebody else tell you what's the right thing for you, what you are doing is you are not listening to yourself, listening to what you think is the right thing for you. So when your internal hunger cues are like, We're still being really like, I don't know. An slum, a sliced up apple and some cheese and maybe some crackers, whatever. And a glass of water, which sounds like a delightful snack, you know, and your brain immediately goes to, yeah, but I can't have that because it's, it's outside my fasting it's window. 10 it's 10 a.m. It's <laughs> dairy. It, it's carbs. It's the mm-hmm. wrong kind of fruit. It's whatever mm-hmm. it happens to be. We end up with this perpetuation of not knowing what's best for ourselves. Mm-hmm. On like some internal, like strong, like my stomach says it's empty or my body says it's tired or Mm -hmm. whatever. Like there might be the odd, there might be the odd circumstance where like, you know, if you have got a true metabolic issue, like diabetes or whatever, what have you outside, you know, uh, information is important, but like generally speaking, this like broad story of as a woman, you shouldn't trust what your body is telling you is Mm -hmm. pervasive and hella damaging.
0: Yeah. Well, and I hate to do this Scooby-Doo, you know, pull the mask off the monster and it's capitalism all along, but, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, part of the funny reason story that we <laughs> are trained to ignore our hunger cues is you, you're not on break at work. You can't eat. Yeah. We're trained to ignore our tired cues because you're on a deadline and you have to get that project finished. Right. 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 right so right. it's really ingrained to just push through discomfort when our body is trying to tell us something because Mm, we have to be more productive in whatever way that looks like.
1: Well, and I'm going to add to that, that I think that this is also part of the sort of puritanical sort of ideal, Mm, right? That so many people hold to, right? Where if we look at sort of puritanical ideas of like, you know, whatever, restricting access to everything that's good in the world, sex, food, alcohol, fun, I don't know, fun clothes, whatever it happens to be, right? That when it comes to things like ignoring your body, telling you something, it's like, yeah, but in order for me to be good, and I've talked about this before, right? Mm-hmm. About this pervasive need to be good. In order for me to be good, I need to X, Y, Z, right? Mm-hmm. I need to wait until noon before I have my, I don't know what, only oh, you know. protein, <laughs> something. I don't know what it is, right? And like- I don't know. There's just this really terrible, you know, come alongside of of this of this idea of being good, right? I'm being mm-hmm. good. I'm I'm
0: I'm not I'm eating not ex- eating the chocolate cake, right? Um, being good.
1: No, I, I said no to the cake. Or I was bad last night. I said yes to the cake, right? Like, give me a fucking break. Come on, now. Why are you, you want that cake? Because it's delicious, and because delicious things are pleasurable and they bring you joy in your life. They put a smile on your face. You probably had it at a birthday party where you're socially getting down with all the people. I and mean, you didn't have a birthday party you had by yourself, just straight out of your fridge. I don't even care. That's fine too. You know what I mean? But like, why do we do this? We do this because it brings pleasure. And in our lives, I think we are, there's this again, sort of like thread that's being woven through that on some level, like pleasure is somehow taboo. I mean, we see this in mm-hmm. women's sexuality. Mm-hmm. We see this in all kinds of stuff, right? But like, mm-hmm. pleasure is somehow taboo. If you can stay skinny, wear the uncomfortable clothes, have your face caked in makeup, you know, whatever, whatever, you look great. Mm-hmm. It's
2: not comfortable. It's mm-hmm. not fun. You know?
1: anyways, that's a tangent. I also, but no, it's, it's a, a, a good tangent.
2: Of and I'd like to take your tangent and see it to another one. I think it's really what I find so fascinating is the people that look at very limited study data, like yes. poor quality, limited, cherry-picked study data, but then will fear monger against large, robust, <laughs> amazing, like good quality right. data. Right. Like Correct. you want to talk about the COVID vaccine. Oh, it's not tested, but, and it's like literally been administered to. Billions of people. There's so much efficacy data. There's so much safety data. Like, honestly, if you know anything about data collection, the fact that they even realized there were clots coming from AstraZeneca is unbelievable because it was such a rare Small event Mm -hmm. that was captured really quickly because of this huge net of data collection that was happening and being interpreted and being like, like, so I just find it so I can't even, you know, when you're just like, can't even start the conversation because it's like you have this thing that literally has more data and it's like vetted and scrutinized and like it has been intensely investigated. And it's like not good enough. But I mean, to your point, but then you're like this, oh, well, this one study, this one blah, blah, blah on men or mice or whatever, or like not at all. Or this one person's anecdotal story somehow is like totally fine. Well, and to your point,
1: most people don't know how to analyze data. And to be fair, most people don't ever need to know how to do that. That's like not in their everyday, like need to know situation. Mm -hmm. This is why I don't want to demonize actual experts, like people who know you and know your medical history and know your health needs. And, you know, because those are the guys who are like going and. At the very least, following their provincial health org guidelines. And those people, at the very least, have spent hours upon hours upon hours upon hours looking at the data and scrutinizing Mm -hmm. it. You know, anyways, I think, yeah. Well, Uh, and I think
0: also, I mean, the other kind of side of that coin, Jenny, to what you were saying is it's really easy for the media to sensationalize on either side. So rather than looking at the study, somebody's looking at the media's response to the study, which is, very often inaccurate, cherry picked, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to boil a really, even a really well done scientific study down to a, you know, 15 second soundbite. That's not what it's designed for.
2: (laughs) Well, we should do a whole episode about limitations of journalism, because like, Mm -hmm. if you listen to journalists talk about deadlines, like they could have to write five articles in 24 hours. Do you know what I mean? Like, so they don't actually even have the time and space to vet information. Well, it's just about like, they're, they're in their own little machine cranking through, which is actually quite interesting, but it's, it's its own problem. But mm-hmm. I think, I mean, at the end of the day, we have a society that's really captivated by the anecdotal. Mm-hmm. And when they can have somebody, the dude at the gym or whatever, the person on Instagram who looks the way they want to look say, well, with an absolutism too, say like, oh, you just need to do this. Like here's, it's that sil- silver bullet concept. Mm-hmm. And it's all trends, right? Think back, right? Eggs were bad for you. It was all about low fat. Oh, wait, there's a whole lot of additives put in things to make them low fat. And actually the sugar content's usually higher. On to the next trend, right? Just drink bone broth all day. What was there? Like cabbage soup at some point. Like It's like all of these things just cycle. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're just in an intermittent fasting cycle. We're in a, is it an eating window that we're in right now? Is that right. at the parallel we can draw? <laughs> well, we're
0: in your, a fasting window. Are yeah, we totally. oh, deny okay. deny yourself. Deny <laughs> so yourself.
1: To your point about the way that the media unfortunately can grab a hold of of a something, okay? Mm-hmm. So I literally while we've been doing this, just did a Google scholar search on intermittent fasting. Anybody can mm-hmm. do this by the way. Yeah. Uh, and I found metabolic effects of intermittent fasting from 2017, which I don't know anything about this study, but I scrolled straight down to the summary points. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm going to say a sentence and then I'll provide the context outside of it. Right. So, um, it says here, intermittent fasting, and restricting the availability of food to the normal nighttime feeding cycle, improve metabolic profile and reduce the risk of obesity and obesity related conditions. Okay.
2: That sounds what like I, a great headline.
1: What I didn't say was studies in rodents and other nocturnal mammals support the hypothesis, <laughs> blah, 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 oh, blah, blah. Yeah. And at the end of that, it says, however, data from related human studies are limited regarding the p- positive <laughs> impacts of time-restricted feeding. On weight or metabolic health. That's not okay. a
0: good soundbite. I don't like. That's not and no. in <laughs> it's academia
2: not. world. 2017's old. I mean, right? So like, <laughs> right? but that's right. but that's exactly what I mean, right? So totally. for all I know, I haven't looked at the study. For all no, I no, know, no. this could be an awesome study.
1: Totally. Yep. On rats.
2: <laughs> So if you want to hold on, if you want to improve the metabolic ha- health of your pet rodent, yeah. you might be to yeah. something. You leave the I, food tray out I suggest night. taking a look at intermittent yes. fasting for yeah, your put his little rodent. pellet food out and then yes. take it away at the end of the day until his window starts again.
0: <laughs> oh gosh,
2: and live longer, baby.
0: Well, and I think <laughs> kind of all of this ties back to Lee. What you were just saying—that like ninety-five percent, you know, stat. And this ties into intermittent fasting, like all diets, you know, unless you're losing a specific amount of weight that you gained for a short period of time, unless this is a permanent quote unquote lifestyle change, you know, unless you're going to literally intermittently fast the rest of your life, likely any purported benefits that you see aren't going to be permanent anyway. Mm-hmm. increasingly what it seems is science is discovering, you know, people kind of have a body size that's mostly yeah. out of their control. Shock,
1: shock, of, all have, shocks,
0: right? shock of all shocks. Bodies yep. come in all shapes and sizes and they, you know, sit comfortably at different shapes and sizes. And actually that doesn't matter because body size is not an accurate indicator of health anyway. Nope. Mm-hmm. So like you were saying, Lee, you know, if you have specific health issues, you're concerned about, there are likely more targeted actions. You can take than intermittent fasting anyway, Mm -hmm. right? You have Mm -hmm. specific cholesterol issues. You can work on those specific cholesterol issues. You're dealing with diabetes. You can deal with specific things to deal with your diabetes. Mm -hmm. You know, I think this is really what all of this comes down to. We want, like you said, Jenny, we want that magic. We want the silver bullet. Mm -hmm. Oh, I just intermittent fast and it'll make everything better. But of course it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Nothing. No. Ever and I think if you way. have,
2: if you have genuine medical concerns regal- regarding nutrition, there are actual amazing professionals called yep. registered dietitians, and they have areas of focus and expertise. And, you know, if you're going to outsource, outsource to somebody who's actually devoted, um, they like educational background, yes. they're working in an evidence-based way, they're gonna help you um in terms of checks and, and balance. And honestly, even if you don't have a medical condition and you're really feeling lost with your nutrition and there's a lot of noise out there, rather than paying for some like influencer's um opinion, there's registered dietitians who are amazing, wonderful resources who exist, exist to help if you're genuinely having issues with um, you know, your body. And there's also registered counselors that are really supportive for that too, because body image is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if it's genuinely impacting your life, then there are are professionals like really good ones.
1: And I think it's, it's also important to say that it's not like when the DSM five says that intermittent fasting is effectively a gateway to disordered eating. Mm -hmm. Um, that's not a flippant statement.
2: No, that's very um, vetted.
1: And but also <laughs> it's vetted because eating disorders have the highest mortality of any mental health disorder. Really? The highest. Mm-hmm. They have the highest mortality. I know this because I had to write a paper on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do all the research. <laughs> so they have the highest mortality and it's not by a little bit. It's by a lot, right? People die because
2: yeah. of the shit. You get right. Cardiac issues and electrolyte imbalances. And yeah. Well,
0: yeah. and I, I wonder too, how much more of that we're going to see the correlation. And because I think so much previous of the focus and study and energy and time, um, has gone into people in thin bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Dealing with eating Absolutely. disorders. But the reality is those same negative damaging health impacts can happen at any size of body. So 100%. how many, mm-hmm. how many people have been written off by their doctor as all oh, those problems are all just because you're overweight. Once you lose weight, it'll go away when the yeah. reality is it's the damage they've done due to eating 1200 calories a day for the last five years.
1: Yeah. They're like, you know, they're in a bigger body and they're, they're not getting their period because they're malnourished. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's, um, It it's really, it, you know, as much as I would love for this to be just this kind of like you know, dieting is a waste of time, put your efforts and, and, and intention on anything else, please. It's way more than that. Mm, Um, at least it has very much the the potential to be way more than that. I'm not saying that every person who intermittently fasts immediately turns into like a, you know, a binging and, and restricting, you know, person with a full blown eating disorder. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying though, is that it is, there's just so much proof that goes to show that, um, disordered eating can very much lead to a eating disorder Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: eating disorders have very serious consequences. So Mm -hmm. do you want to play with that? You know, or do you want to go, I don't know, get a pair of jeans that's bigger. Like, I don't know. Like, do you want to, do you want to do that? Or do you want to like get to a place where recognize like, why do I feel so bad about my body all the time? Oh, Hmm. maybe it's because what everybody else is telling me, or I'm following like, you know, Fitspo influencers on Instagram who eat, eat nothing. And I don't know, you know what I mean? Like,
0: Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think it was a really significant tipping point for me when I started doing the kind of exercise that I do now, because it really helped me shift from what my body looks like to what my body can do. And I think Mm. that Mm -hmm. is a more helpful way to look at our bodies and God, it's hard to get there.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Totally. And I mean, even for someone who has lost a lot of what my body can do, I still need to be like, but it's a good body, right? Right. Like even though this body looks a lot different than it used to, I can't do a lot of stuff. I'm like, coming back into a real fun vertigo flare again it's good times Mm -hmm. let me tell you um I still have to believe my body
0: is good yeah because what other option do I have and it doesn't need to earn that goodness it just is Mm,
1: good it keeps me alive my kids love snuggling it you know (laughs) my husband like is not mad about it like you know I'm not mad about like at what point do we recognize like beating ourselves up to beat ourselves up because somebody else says that it should be something else. Like, why are we doing this? Like, like, let's stop. Let's just stop. And I know it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not like, Oh, I'll just stop flip a, a switch. Right.
0: But just flip oh, the switch of 40 years of programming. It's totally,
2: fine. totally. And everything <laughs> that, I see on TV well, and, I everything just I say see, yeah. and the generations before and like oh, everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's more than oh, 40 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, Annika, this has been fascinating. This has oh, been such you. a great chat. Please I love your deep so dives. They're my faves.
0: <laughs> They're like so I, good. I love, I love as I'm kind of digging into something like, oh, this is going to be so fun to talk about. So totally. Totally. Thanks, totally. thanks y'all.
2: <laughs> thanks so much for listening to me in the middle. We really appreciate your support and if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast, it would mean a lot to us.